0: Well, most of our shared work, uh, as you've learned um, in Awakening, is helping churches better discern God's spirit at work in their neighborhoods. But tonight and during these plenary sessions, we actually intentionally pull out. So if we're, we spend most of our time maybe in the zip codes or the, the extensions of the zip codes, the four-digit extensions, tonight we're more in the area code, 608. Uh, and the focus tonight um, is the University of Wisconsin. University of Wisconsin uh, ha- has a major impact on this community and there are opportunities for the church to better understand the University of Wisconsin, but also a partner alongside the University of Wisconsin. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to hear from, um, I'll tell you about his bio, but he is a, I don't know if he's a Wisconsin native. I actually don't know that. Yeah, he is. He just gave me a thumbs up. So um, he was born, raised in Wisconsin. I'm not sure where, but maybe we'll hear about that. But let me tell you about David Wertz. Um, David Wirtz is professor of higher education and faculty director in the office for public engagement at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. Over the past 25 years, his scholarship and teaching have focused on how colleges and universities collaborate with external partners uh, for serving the public good. In pursuing this agenda, David's research lies at the intersections of state university relations, community engagement, institutional advancement, higher education leadership, and organizational development. His work draws on various disciplines from economics, political science, sociology, social psychology, history, and religion, which have all contributed to his expertise on the Wisconsin idea. And if you haven't read the article, I really encourage you to read the article. Uh, And we have extra copies uh, on the desk, um, front desk, as you leave tonight. So feel free to to take an extra copy. You'll really benefit from from reading that piece. David holds a PhD in educational administration from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And he also served here as a major gifts officer, um, which I think is a a cool part of his bio. He's also a graduate of University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. So he has deep roots and deep love uh, for Wisconsin. He's received awards from the Association for the Study of Higher Education, the Council for Advancement and Support of Education, and the National Forum on Higher Education for the Public Good. David also serves as Vice Chair of the Anselm House, uh, which is a Christian study center located at University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. And and quite honestly, it's one of the best uh, Christian study centers in the network of which we're a part. And we really uh, relied on them heavily as we got started here. So, we have deep love and appreciation for Anselm House and David David's involvement there because they really helped us get started. Uh, so thank you for your um, contribution to that. David is married to Rhoda and they have three children, 11, 12, 13, 12, 13, 14, 12, 13, 14, two boys are the bookend and then they have uh, a daughter in the middle. So David, uh, I can't think of anybody better to, to lead us in a better understanding Uh, the Wisconsin Idea and how churches uh, might come alongside that. So, David, welcome to Upper House and Awaken Dane.
1: Okay, and as cued, I'm up on the mic. Well, I'm so delighted to be here. Thank you so much for your generous uh, invitation to be here. Um, And thank you for taking a risk on a guy from the University of Minnesota to talk about the Wisconsin Idea. Um, Thinking about that, but as John mentioned, um, I do have deep roots here in Wisconsin. Uh, in fact, uh, some connection with uh, all of you uh, in this way as well is that I'm a PK, a pastor's kid, uh, lived in various parts of Wisconsin, uh, was born in Rhinelander, lived in the Green Bay area, uh, lived in Eau Claire, uh, we grew up in uh, in the uh, German Lutheran tradition. And I think about my dad had some serious Wisconsin street cred because he he put himself through... Seminary by working at Pabst Brewery in the '60s, <laughs> and I was very careful, actually, not to mention this when I was asking the blessing to my uh, Minnesota Baptist in-laws. Uh, many, many years uh, l- l- later, thinking about that, so uh, so we've had we have kind of this uh, tradition. Wisconsin, we're, we're connected in different ways. So I'm very, I'm uh, very uh, pleased to be here. So, what motivates my interest in this topic? Uh, I'm just going to say a little bit of, uh, about that. So, as John mentioned, I'm really interested in how universities and external partners come together to support the common good. And these are very diverse sets of partners, of which uh, churches are a, a very important part. And I'm interested in the Wisconsin idea because it has a very rich heritage and deep what's called organizational saga, is kind of the lingo used in the organizational science literature to talk about deep stories that animate understanding of practice and philosophy of how an organization runs. So that really is uh, my interest around this work. And just to get a little orientation, um, how many of you are uh, have heard or have some familiar familiarity with the Wisconsin Idea? Okay, so a good bunch of you. If any of you were UW alums that did not raise your hand, you could revoke your right for, for your Badger football tickets. Uh, Of this year, the whole Big Ten West, you know, you could probably sell those for five bucks, including University of Minnesota right now. So I'll say a little bit about the topics for this talk. I wanna talk a little bit about rediscovering the origins of the Wisconsin Idea. Uh, Some of the foundations of the concept and why this really matters, especially in this particular moment. I wanna also talk about the emergence of this Wisconsin Idea from the early origins to become be, becoming what might be called a modern project, and really how this has left us wanting and has uh, put us in kind of an empty space where we are in society right now. In the third piece, I'm gonna ask the question, can the church collaborate with the university to bring renewed purpose and meaning to the Wisconsin idea in this particular space and time? And I'm going to offer some thoughts and reasons, maybe for hope in this particular context. It's a very difficult time right now in the country, on campuses, as we know, and what's happening in our, our broader world and society. So here's probably the Wisconsin Idea version that we know the best. Um, and this relates to what Charles Van Heys, who was the president of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Uh, between 1903 uh, to 1918, uh, who was a student of John Bascom. So those of you who trekked Bascom Hill know what Bascom is all about. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Um, And this particular phrase is very well known uh, in the Wisconsin Idea Circle, and it it tends to explain uh, what this is all about. And he said during this period, uh, the boundaries of the university are the boundaries of the state. Um, and this became to mean really more around a robust um, uh, a commitment to extension work and is really tied to what's called the larger land grant movement in the, uh, U.S. higher education. Real briefly explain the land grant movement relates to uh, the sale of federal lands in 18, um, 1862 that were then gifted to create um, universities with practical arts such as agriculture and moving to more of a research kind of focus in helping in the practical area. But uh, at the risk of needing a, uh, a getaway caro this early in my talk, there are some uh, interpretations of this that it's funny when I go to land grant meetings across the Big Ten that people ask the question because, you know, they don't know I'm kind of a Wisconsin guy because I got the Minnesota, you know, stuff on. And I remember going to one meeting and a guy from Illinois said, what's the deal with the Wisconsin people? They think they have this idea. We were all doing that back then. You know, we were doing land grant stuff. We were helping. The Michigan state person said, you know, we had the first agricultural college. You know, we were doing this stuff back. And, you know, to this point, when you frame it in this particular way, um, there's somewhat of a point around that. And one of the things uh, that's important to know at this point, when you look at this phrase, it really puts the university as kind of the epicenter or the expert model about reaching to the state. So it's a little bit of a kind of a savior. We're supporting, it's kind of saving the state through our expertise, and it signals more of a delivery of education about this. So that's a critique that uh, comes in various places. And what I think uh, we could uh, talk about here is rediscovering some of the distinctives of the Wisconsin idea. And I'm going to highly recommend uh, this particular book, uh, David Hovler. This is from a few years ago. He wrote um, about John Bascom um, and the Wisconsin idea. So John Bascom was uh, president of the University of Wisconsin between 1874 and 1887. Um, He grew up in Calvinist tradition and then uh, adopted more of a liberal Protestant theology of social gospel. And what he was very interested in is this kind of... uh, uh, post-millen- post-millennial notion. And for those of you who are the theologians in that, you could school all of us on this, but the post-millennial view was that the world was getting better and it was going to establish what uh, Bascom called the kingdom of heaven on earth. And so what he believed in, in the university's role is to uh, um, have the university be a redemptive change agent that would harmonize social gospel movements and some of the elements of progressive reform. And although we could probably, in across this room, uh, have difference of opinion on Bascom's theology, I think what we would agree on is that it came from a deep Christian imagination, meaning in terms of a worldview of understanding the Christian role in, in, in work, and that that um, brought meaning and purpose to many of those involved. The other thing that was interesting about the Wisconsin idea, when you really look at the early roots it was really more about the state than the university. So when you read the early documents, for example, this piece, The Wisconsin Idea about Charles McCarthy, this was a 1912 book um, by this McCarthy who was a head of the Legislative Reference Library who kind of gave it the name of the Wisconsin idea. But when you look at this book, it's really more about Wisconsin's legislative session of 1912 uh, or 1911 and how this came to be. And when you look at those early days, it was really more about the estate and not the brand of the university. Uh, Gwen Drury, who is kind of a famous local historian of the Wisconsin Idea, talked about in some of the work she's done is that Wisconsin Idea was really more of a vision as opposed to a mission. And it was really about keeping citizens at the heart of their own governance and to do this work and then how you would do this. And she talks about the underlying values and hope around t- truth, egalitarianism, integrity, and really social connectedness. And I think, as I'll say in a minute, uh, these were maybe a- more aspirational in ways or prophetic than in practice when you see some of the things around the complicated story in the, of the Wisconsin idea. So here's a reference to that. So throughout the 20th century, the Wisconsin idea really merged as this kind of modern project Um, And so what I mean by that, and I think about higher education space, is there was something that educational historians talk about, the academic revolution. And what that was in that early 20th century, there were only a handful of universities like University of Wisconsin that were really starting to pedal to the floor on their research, uh, creating new disciplines and fields, becoming kind of famous and known in those areas. And there was increasing fragmentation and specialization especially among research universities like the University of Wisconsin. And what happened that at that point is you started to focus more on the individual scholar. And so uh, one of the challenges related to this is the idea that there was kind of a loss of wholeness that the individual scholar had, as well as the purpose of higher education. So actually prior to that, in the Bascom days, uh, Bascom, and this was common across American higher education If you were a student, your last class you would take was with the president of the university where they would bring a holistic view of what does this all mean and bring deep meaning to the subjects and try to form this together. And that kind of view of higher education started to fall apart. There was also growing secularization, the loss of Christian influence. This particularly happened, uh, noted by historian Mark Knoll, who talks about America's God, where after the Civil War, People couldn't make sense of the discrepancies in in terms of how the South interpreted slavery versus the North, so it started to lose influence around in these broader spaces. There was also the growth of what's called scientism and the technical fix, and scientism really refers to this idea that science is preeminent and kind of replaces the notion of God, that science is the overarching end-all, be-all that can provide a fix to society. And then what you started to see is more of a emerging contractual nature of the university and and the people and the citizens, where the university became kind of a contracted partner uh, around doing this kind of work. I'm going to share uh, a couple of quotes, and this I think a couple of these are in the article, but one expression of this that I found in my research in the archives here is this quote from Frank Holt, who was uh, in the public service area at UW here from 1947, mid-century. He talks about uh, seeing that the new knowledge acquired through research finds a place in the lives of the people is a primary function of the university. And so when he talks about acquisition of research, they were really talking a lot about uh, what they were doing and then kind of the expert model of delivering this research to the people. Later on in the 20th century, um, it also it talked about uh, Donna Shalala's uh, quote. This is from the, the late 1980s. She was giving a talk at the University of Illinois about the Wisconsin idea and broader um, impacts and what the work was happening. And she talked about, uh, we've done well in delivering the miracles of pure science. And what she was talking about broadly in research universities, you think about vaccines, uh, putting somebody on the moon, all of these kind of things. But she talked about doing less well at delivering miracles of the social science uh, and she talked about the shoe leather is the new test tubes of going out there and shoe leather meaning you're going to go out and you're going to collect data on people and kind of perform a miracle around that so making sense of our current context the wisconsin idea and prevailing i'm going to say meta narratives about higher education is a public good so what I want to do is talk about this then in connection to the church. Where has this uh, placed us as uh, contributors in the church? Where has this kind of left the church out? And where is it possibly going? And these meta narratives, um, I, I borrow broadly from this Scott Peters, who is a historian at Cornell, uh, who's got this great little piece around changing the story about the higher ed purposes uh, and work. So, I'm going to talk a little bit about this and where the church fits in. So, one of the big um, dominant meta narratives or views around higher education right now and the public good in the church is the view of the human or the idea of higher education for the prosperous society. So, this really comes out of the idea of human capital. We're creating people that are going to have skills and build a prosperous world. We have these societal commitments around creating economic benefits to society. Uh, New startups, right, That the university, has new startup companies, uh, research uh, on these particular areas. And then the Wisconsin Idea and the public good is really as a means to support our national competitiveness around innovation. You see these around billboards and things around the Wisconsin Idea. And the view of the church in this space historically has really been about uh, Christians in these space Contribute to the economic growth agenda, and really, in this case, faith is irrelevant. So it's like, oh, if they're prepared, if they can contribute to the economic workforce, we're we're in good shape. Is the thought kind of from the university, and this has its own uh, narrative, which I link to Peter's work around what's called the heroic meta narrative, and the uh, heroic meta narrative is this really this notion around that there are a series of heroes and products that um, come out of the University of Wisconsin that really put Wisconsin on the mat. So up on the right here is Stephen Babcock, that we all know, hopefully know from Babcock Ice Cream. Uh, so the, he revolutionized and created the, the uh, butterfat test and the, at that period, revolutionized the dairy industry. And so this is often a Wisconsin idea story that we talk broadly about. In terms of kind of heroes of the Wisconsin idea. And what happened during this time, too, with this broader meta narrative, is Wisconsin idea became closely branded to the UW Madison. Um, in this case, uh, we alf- often use it for soliciting state support for the university. Uh, we talk about it in a larger uh, framework for recruiting. So there's, if you go on the website, it'll say Wisconsin idea in Albania, Wisconsin idea around the world. So, there's a broader representation about where this work happens. And then, as well as this, there's Christians participate in this, in uh, what might be called in this heroic meta narrative. One of the um, uh, pieces from this, too, just kind of uh, recently, is a, an op ed that um, uh, came out just after uh, the pandemic. And here's an example of this it was talking about the Wisconsin idea impulse that was driven. Um, by the public university that helped reduce uh, the re- destruction of the uh, pandemic. And it talks about, in this case, these are UW leaders, uh, the immense talent pool to battle this 21st century pandemic. So you see this kind of meta narrative, and the Christians participate in this story. But there's also another story of the Wisconsin idea um, that Christians are also broadly implicated in this uh, story that we're sorting through kind of nationally. One of the things that we know um, is around the early Wisconsin idea reformers and their support for eugenics. So this broader notion that, um, uh, as, as it says now in Charles Van Heist, human defectives should no longer be allowed to propagate the, the race. So you had um, uh, Van Heist and also Richard Ely, who um, stood for this and had, uh, in some cases, support for slavery around this particular area. So this is a tragic view around this that we continue to, to work through as a university and broadly around the country as well. There's also this notion of the land-grant story is connected to um, what's called land-grant, now land-grab institutions. And what that refers to is this notion that, remember I talked about the sale of federal lands that benefited the University of Wisconsin? So these federal lands were indigenous lands, And so we're in a point now of kind of reckoning and and discussion around what does it mean uh, around this space, particular space? And I think that Wisconsin idea, if you look through its history, in some cases associated with the loss of indigenous culture um, and social gospel linked to these broader questions. So what's interesting in this space and probably worth discussion is how do we think about our Christian role in these spaces Um, as those who want to faithfully share the gospel, but have these broader questions around um, these historic um, issues that bring uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of contention around these particular areas. So this has led to kind of higher ed for the equitable society. So this view of the human and how churches are involved are typically around uh, uh, human rights, rights rights-based individual freedoms, um, often identity-based, as I mentioned, indigenous and other cultures. The societal commitments are more around social justice um, and thinking about structural inequities. Wisconsin idea and the public good is really around uh, reducing disparities in different areas. And then the church's contribution in this area is mixed. So in some cases, church may contribute to these justice-oriented projects, so many of you might, uh, for example, anyone work with the mortgage Center that we know on campus, that they do a lot of volunteer work. A lot of this is built on, uh, I think more recently, I've been working with people around like anti-racism frameworks and these various. so this comes out of this tradition of the Wisconsin idea. Um, but the church is also in this case viewed as an oppressive colonizing force in many ways. Um, because especially around I- ideas of sexual minorities in this particular area, uh, when you think about, uh, you know, Orthodox teaching and church and, and how we think about sorting through uh, people's understanding of identity and justice, it's a very tricky area. And finally, I put the conservative and populist backlash to this. So this is from Michael Joyce. This was from the article as well, where he talked about the Wisconsin idea. He was the the Bradley Foundation of Milwaukee chair for many years. And he talked about it as a failed progressive experiment. And it was really transferring, in his view, um, away from the people to the state. And here's, a, here's maybe the most colorful version of the Wisconsin I, Idea that I've seen. And this is from David Blask, uh, Blaska in the Isthmus in 2010. And as you see here, he's talking about Wisconsin Idea's experts instructing their lessers uh, elected by the rabble to scrape the manure off their boots before they enter the state capitol. So there's an elitism associated with this. Uh, this is picked up well in Kathy Kramer's book, who may, you might know, The Politics of Resentment. So this, I mentioned this to say that various communities are active in this space as well. So the, I, I mentioned this as the kind of higher ed and then with the church, in terms of the university's understanding of the churches and these spaces, can live in very different interpretations. And so I mention all this because the splintering notions of the Wisconsin idea is really a microcosm or kind of micro story of really a a larger national story around the country. And it relates to then how we think about churches and um, faith communities in this particular space. So how are we responding to this? So one of the things that was particularly influenced yeah, for me in this space uh, was uh, in the late 1990s when I was doing my PhD here at uh, Wisconsin where uh, uh, Chancellor David Ward, who uh, happily signed my diploma, I'm pretty sure it was like on a Xerox machine. I don't think he actually sent it. But he, he signed my diploma. Uh, with, I was here during that era and he was part of a larger national movement to think about how do we rethink the role of these land-grant universities, because the the main narrative was following is that these universities like Wisconsin are uh, elitist, out of touch, and not organized in a way to serve society. So they had this piece called the Engaged Institution that was became something that I was really glued to and excited about. This was came out in 1998. And there's another piece of this, probably harder to see, but there was this guy named Ernest Boyer who wrote this other book that transformed the way that the university, in, in some cases, thought about itself. Not all institutions, but was influential. And they came to this notion of the um, application piece, I'd look to the bottom right, the pragmatic question. So how do we collaborate in ways to put knowledge to work in the world? And so I wanna uh, mention this uh, in terms of some of the work that we are doing. Um, and I had a, a few slides ago, I think there was an icon, Office for Public Engagement around the University of Minnesota. So part of the job that I have is a, it's a halftime appointment where I represent uh, the five campus system of the University of Minnesota to help think about how do we bring the knowledge and resources of the university in collaboration with the knowledge and resources of the community in a way that serves the public good. And the way that we conceptually think about it is through this diagram. For those of you who are UW folks, and I saw some professors in the uh, 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 crowd, the three circles of the research, teaching, and service should look quite familiar to you. Um, And this is the way that we typically organize work in the academy. But what you'll notice here is the community engagement approach puts community in the middle among all of those historically we thought about work in community as service right but where, what this puts is is community in the center of all these things so you might do community engaged research which means that you're working in partnership with communities in a way that benefits the field and society you might be doing teaching in partnership with a community partner that's doing it in a way that helps uh, learning and provides some outcome to a community. So I think these are advances uh, that have been helpful in the field and are starting to make their way uh, into the broader society and the way universities work and do have some leverage for the ways that churches can be involved in uh, various projects around what we do. This particular slide it was funny in the green room. I was told that this, this could be a, a, a point of connection Uh, with Awaken Dane, and that is this notion of thinking about public engagement toward reciprocity and mutual benefit. An early critique of the Wisconsin idea and the universities is we were doing work to the community. This is kind of what the early criticism, and it moved to maybe doing it for community. Maybe you might be doing it in community, but this is moving it towards doing it with community in ways that are are transforming uh, our work. So I, I, I mentioned this because this is also exciting in the sense around there's a growing national emphasis on university community engagement. Um, one of the webinars that I hosted uh, last year um, took a look at how do we involve faith communities in this space. And some of these national networks are now beginning to think about um, how do we think about various forms of knowledge. It's typically around kind of indigenous and other knowledge. But thinking about faith-informed traditions and thinking about knowledge in this space, I think, is an area of real opportunity. But here's one thing I, as I go into the last 15 minutes of this discussion, and I really want to talk about our current moment here. We think about all of the money that we've been spending at these universities on this work for many years, for about 25 years. And we're doing some great innovative work in communities that are supporting communities in partnership with churches in various ways. But how do we make sense of the current state of our communities and what might be called the hollowing out of our humanity? And I mentioned this, as you may have seen, is the Surgeon General has an advisory about what's called the loneliness epidemic. And seeing that our communities, and you might be seeing this in your own spaces, where there's despair, there's drug use, uh, there's loneliness and understanding lost in the world. This is a piece that came out, uh, USC did this press release around a a work that they're doing at uh, Southern California, and a a political scientist showed that the American public is more polarized politically than it's been since the Civil War. And if you look at what's happening today, you you see that. What we know, too, on the college campuses, anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts, these things are the highest rate ever recorded. I think about, you know, students that come to my uh, class, and I I had one of my students as an advisor for undergraduate students, and I said, tell me about your time over the last 15 years. What's changed? She said it used to be that I I might just advise them on what English class that they should take in the second semester. But she said now what we're being asked to is help manage their medication around their mental health. All of these things, uh, the therapy that they're going to have, it's put us in a very different place. So you think about what's happening and, and what's what's underneath that. And then how about the state of higher education? You know, it, it right now it's recorded that uh, it hits historic low. Um, if, not long ago, I had a chance to have discussion with some actually uh, pretty prominent leaders at the University of Minnesota around our public engagement work. And I, I said, you know, I'm going to ask maybe a career-ending question. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> and I said, we put all this investment in. Um, and, and why is it that, you know, we would think with our public engagement work that we should have high confidence in higher education around the country? And it was funny, you know, it was sort of silent. And then one senior leader He's really a really good guy. I think a lot of him. And, and he, he, he had some statistics, and then he kind of said, well, we're not as bad as Congress, he said. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, stay tuned for the Big Ten Network. on You know when they have the halftime of the shows, you know, of, the, of the, uh, the football games, when they show the ads? It will soon say, the University of Minnesota, we're not as bad as Congress. That could be our new tagline. So what does this tell you? Uh, But maybe Wisconsin's not far behind us. So So I think what's happened is, what's the dilemma here? And I want to offer something around uh, the dilemma of the university community engagement and really the broader Wisconsin idea in the late modern age. Not long ago, I was at a conference at Baylor University where there was a very prominent cultural sociologist named James Davison Hunter who you might have heard of. He's at the University of Virginia. What I would say about him is uh, anything you read with him, you'll never regret. Uh, He's a really prominent and a a strong uh, Christian leader in this space. And one of the things he explained about what he could call this late modern age is that we're at a point where he talked about the modern age and the technological developments that we have, but he compared it to uh, a plane that we're all on that's the most advanced, technologically advanced, fastest, shiniest plane we've ever had, but the plane does not have any idea where it's going. He said that's the plight of the late uh, modern age that we have at this point. And if I were to put this in the state university context of how we think about our current moment, I think what I would say to add to Hunter's work is to think about that the university and communities are co-constructing with community partners a state-of-the-art plane in a way that ensures equitable access on a place going to nowhere. (laughs) In some ways around this. And here's what I mean about that. What I mean about that is that there's very little reflection on the ultimate ends about this work and where it is actually going. We've uh, constructed uh, a plane where there's restless uh, passengers that can't make meaning of the journey. And we have these meta narratives where we have um, hopelessly caught up in the prosperity and equitable society binary. And what do I mean by that? Of Ultimately, one of the problems is that our work is deeply implanted in if we only had more startup companies, everybody would be fine. Sort of the productive narrative, right? Or if we only had kind of these systemic issues Um, uh, we would be fine, and then if we had these other areas, we we could have more of a utopian society. But when you look at the way that these are built out, what's actually happened is that materialism and power become the ultimate ends of the university and our work with the community. And some of this relationship remains contractual in nature, so it's more around self-interest and acquisition, and that we have few resources in the space to really ask these questions, what does it mean to be, to live a good life? What does it mean to create a good society? Community universities are desperate and they're asking these questions. And I'll tell you later, maybe in the Q and a, we're having a lot of Nicodemus moments at the university of Minnesota, of people saying, could there be something more? And this is this provides an opportunity for this church in this space. So recalling the best of the Wisconsin idea origins with this critique of higher education in the late modern age. Remember this notion of the teleological orientation. That's the idea that Bascom and others offered the possibility that the plane does have a destination. As we could maybe think about, uh, you know, his theology. The notion is. Uh, where are we headed as humans and as Christians? We think about uh, what God has put us in this story uh, at this particular in time and place. The Wisconsin Idea originally to brought meaning and purpose and wholeness to those involved, that they were involved in this redemptive process, uh, and they were not there for themselves, but they were there around this transcendent notions. It was nourished by a profound moral imagination. This redemptive view of the world really guided the Wisconsin Idea, be it flawed in these particular spaces? And the Wisconsin idea, again, more about the state uh, than the university. How do we restore that idea in this particular time when we are very troubled as as I look at what's happening around the Midwest, around the country, around the world? And as Drury talks about, some of the best of this is more prophetic in nature around the underlying spirit around this notion of integrity, interpersonal connectedness based on trust. So if these were kind of the best of the Wisconsin idea and distinctives from our friends at Michigan State who said, hey, we had the first this and that and the other thing, what's the church in this redemptive space? And what I would say is one of the pieces is we all swim in the equitable and prosperous society life and the narrative. This is this is, our, this is the modern society. So the notion in one case is that we live faithful, faithfully in these spaces. Um, and I'm not going to say too much about that, maybe the q and but it's the idea that we live in covenantal ways with communities, not contractual. We live in ways that show uh, love for Christ, in ways um, that really support the flourishing of the work that's happening in this area. But what is missing? It's the heart, but it's also the mind of the church. And what do I mean by that? So the church has a very robust and coherent account of human personhood. This, I think, I could spend maybe, you know, very a long time on this. This is the single most important leverage point that I think the church brings that's completely off the radar that students and the people I work with are desperate to understand. I have students in my organizations class that are drawn to kind of the utopian, kind of perspective around critical theory and bring in, we talk about all of these kind of things and we'll talk about, so, you know, what's the logic of human kind of, uh, uh, what, what a human being and anthropology is. So they talk about this and how it leads to, and then they come to the end. And as I think one student said, yeah, you know what, that view of the human actually probably leads us to, you know, the final scene in Jurassic Park (laughs) where anybody, everyone just kind of keeps pulling at each other. Remember the end of Jurassic Park, these guys were trying to get away, but before the T-Rex killed them, the velociraptors, you know, ripped them apart. So it's this idea that that view of personhood that we've introduced does not introduce flourishing and love and care for others. The Christian uh, view has that. And this offers profound uh, possibilities for humans and human community in these spaces. So I'm going to kind of go through quickly here in the last five minutes. But I think what we have to do is move from um, this heroic and tragic meta narrative to more of a prophetic, counter-narrative. And this comes a little bit out of that uh, work of Peter's. And that is to say that we offer an ideal, uh, the church and the university, to saying that we have an imperfect state in affairs and that we may never fully arrive at this. But as we are drawn in our Christian faith of drawn to God what has us to do, even though we are sinners in this place, that we pursue what God has before us. Um, I think just for time, I'm going to go through here a little bit and offer more of a covenantal versus contractual orientation. So not pulling away uh, when times get tough, but actually coming together in a covenantal way, which we know that God did for us. So some practical ideas is to continue to be active in spaces where the university is carrying out this particular work. And then um, creates spaces for uh, uh, the Christian intellectual tradition in these areas. So one thing about working with the university, with the churches, as we know from the university, um, it, churches often are not on their radar. But what they care about are good thoughts and good thinking and new ideas. Sometimes I bring in some of these scholars, Kuyper and others, to talk about how how uh, you know Bonifer would think about you know the. The politics and politics of the time and a theological perspective, people are very interested in these particular ideas and the extent to which places like Upper House here, John, you didn't know I was going to plug uh, Upper House tonight, but these are the most, some of the most valuable things that we are seeing these entities to bring the church in conversation with the university around promoting dialogue and reflective thinking. And just kind of a thing related to my organizations class, we talk about organizational learning theory. I think what we need to help the university move from what might be called a single to double loop learning perspective, This is from the organization's literature. Single loop refers to people who are frantically saying, how do we do the Wisconsin idea better? We need to get more grants for this. How do we get this, that, and the other thing? How do we impact this, that, and the other thing? But some of the questions that I pose to you around these broader questions are what assumptions should we challenge in what is needed at this moment in Wisconsin and around the world, given what is happening? And giving space for students to live their lives around these questions. One thing I will say about this at Anselm House uh, that uh, John mentioned, which is the Upper House uh, kind of sister organization, is one of the things that's been most fascinating is with community partners and with churches, uh, faculty, Christians, and many non-Christians Who kind of, in some cases, quietly come through the door because you know why they're there? They want to ask big questions, and we're at kind of a point now that you have to leave campus to ask some of the big questions. We'll maybe talk more about that. So now these are kind of uh, these spaces have become spaces of dialogue, um, and exciting spaces for the church to come in dialogue with the university around these big questions of society and big kind of meta narrative questions. So I want to end here in my last two minutes with a a quick story. uh, Hope and healing in Minneapolis. How am I going to tie together Goldie Gopher Cub Foods and the Wisconsin idea? Give me a shot in this last question. So I end here with this story about trying to bring some things that I've seen in my own context. So I work, uh, part of my appointment is uh, is what's what's called the Center for Integrative Leadership. And what this is, it brings together various sectors, uh, public, private, government, and how they work together for the common good. One thing we do is we host these conversations in various communities, especially around the metro area, around collaborations happening. And um, uh, about, you know, a year uh, later or two after uh, the tragedy of of George Floyd and uh, our community and healing and and a lot of hurt in Minneapolis, uh, we hosted one particular conversation in a neighborhood but that was uh, really under duress, and in, in, uh, the Cub Foods there was looted and burned. Uh, the community was, um, it was a very difficult time for that community. And there was a discussion about how the community came together with Cub Foods, who developed a community center and the university in a way to kind of support the community in um, past this tragic moment. So um, I don't go to all these, but this particular one, um, you know, was funny because even it was Tough for me to come that day, but somebody said, Hey, we need somebody to do the, you know, the online chat for this. Can you come? So so I I came and I was I'll tell you the truth, I was a little I was wondering how this was gonna turn out because in my head I thought, here comes the heroic narrative and the tragic together and how is this gonna play out? It's gonna be, oh, here are the heroes that supported kind of this renewal, or here's the tragedy around this. But what was fascinating to me was Um, this panel started with some university people, then the CEO of Cub Foods. And then there was a man who came in kind of right at, a little bit later at the end. And he sat down and he said, I'm turning over to you. And there was this guy who came down and he sat down. And he said, well, I'm working in uh, kind of the security of the area of a nonprofit. Um, And he said, honestly, I didn't prepare really too much around this, but I'm just going to tell you what God has in my heart. And I'm like, university event? All right, game on. Let's hear what's going on. So I'm like in the back, you know, kind of doing this. And what was fascinating about it is he talked from his perspective. He shared, he says, I've been, I was incarcerated for 20 years in Chicago. Talked about how he came to know the Lord. And then he said, I was put in this space for this particular time. And we were supporting in this parking lot on Cup Foods after the burning of this building that we were going to protect this vital resource for our community. And he said, um, and I was there, and I'll, I'll never forget, there was a moment where it was really tense, two day, you know, just a day or two after. And he said, we were all kind of watching this area. It was the middle of the afternoon. It was a hot day. And all of a sudden, there was this huge truck that pulls in. And he, sa- and he said, he wait a second, and they stopped him in this big truck. And he said, I looked in there, and there was a guy, he said a white, a white guy who was in there, and, and he said, you know, you probably shouldn't be here right now. And he said, well, you all look like you're pretty hungry here. You've been here all day. He said, well, yeah. So this man pulled in that he soon called Brother John. Brother John was a local pastor in this neighborhood that he didn't particularly know. Brother John proceeded to pull out a 10-foot smoker with stacks and cases of steaks and started throwing steaks on the grill. How do you like your steak? How do you like your steak? And they talked about this healing process through their neighborhood cross-race that was nourished by this broader vision about what they were going to do together. And it was funny, the university wasn't, you know, I was waiting for the material science guy to say, well, you know, we made the, uh, you know, reinforced steel in that smoker, you know. (laughs) That that, that would be sort of like the heroic moment, right? But the the university was in the background. It was was involved uh, in these broader uh, conversations was around bringing healing. And I end with this, is what are the lessons from Cub Foods and the Wisconsin Idea? Is it was not about the university when I heard that story. It was about the neighborhood and what they were doing together. It was teleologically oriented, meaning the plane had a destination. And the plane, the destination was healing to that community. It was prophetic in the notion that they didn't all get along in the sense that they had to work through along things, but it was around interpersonal connect- connectedness based on trust. And it brought meaning and purpose to all involved. And it was distinctively Christian in its view around a redemptive view and language they used. And after this, my colleagues were processing this and it made a big impression on people who had never heard the gospel. And I think I end with this, is to say all of these stories fit together when we see that the light shines brightest in the darkness, and we put our faith in Christ as as Him alone for our salvation, and this puts us in a place as Christians to work um, together in a way uh, that we can support the flourishing of uh, the university, the community, um, and the greater good. So with that, I say thank you and on Wisconsin.